1: Welcome back to the French Rookie Podcast with me Groves, ex Scotland International and adopted Frenchman, Shani Bt. And we're going to be joined shortly by Toulon's New Zealand born, former Australian under 20 international current Samoa center, Duncan Paola. European semi-finals, Johnny. We're a good few days ago now, so we won't spend too much time poring over those in great detail, but let's chat a bit about them because you were pitch side in Bordeaux with the BT sport team. Yeah. So. Talk us through the atmosphere because it looked pretty special.
2: It was special. That was the word I was going to use. You've taken it right out of my mouth. And that <laughs> is how all games of rugby should be. Like you get those international weekends where it's absolutely pumping, but that for club rugby and European rugby was right up there. And I mean, even from the reception that La Rochelle fans gave the bus as it arrived, like you've never heard anything like it, mate. We were just next to them doing little bits. With the camera and like we we had to stop because it was so loud. It was absolutely phenomenal. And then that stadium, which was built, I think, in 2016 for the Euros, it's now Bordeaux's football stadium. And they only ever sell out the bottom tier because they're now in League 2. And so it's never really full. They had, um I think I was there for France, Georgia last year in the autumn, but to see it full, to see it colored yellow and black like that, to see the noise for the bus, but then the noise as the game got going and the action started get getting in its flow it was absolutely incredible and it was just special just one of those days that again you were lucky to be there to have seen it and you just wish that more rugby days were like that worldwide it was absolutely incredible so um La Rochelle have bottled something over the past decade, coming up from Pro de Deux, built on a few big players that are still there. There'll be a massive hole when they leave. But in terms of a squad, what they've built and a fan base now, they'll have 80 sellouts. I think it is. They'll get 80 sellouts by the end yeah. of this month. And it's just a juggernaut in terms of you know the playing setup and what they produce, but then the club behind the scenes, the infrastructure and the people that are in charge. So an incredible job um, and a wonderful game.
1: And what about the game itself? Because we chatted a bit about it with Greg last week and... We described it as a last dance for this core group of extra players, but it it did seem like La were too strong.
2: Mate, there was a a massive gulf, and I don't think we appreciated it, but there were were certain bits of the Saracens and Gloucester game where, you know, they overpowered them. and But this was just, some of it was men against boys. And the, the power game, when it came on at scrum time, there was penalties, mall game, they were knocked back. But then that blend of power that we talked about so whether it's a Bottia who had to leave the field early whether it's Greg getting them on the front foot whether it's Antonio with Skelton 300 kgs going through a scrum or bossing the gain line they're just a juggernaut that's so hard to stop like every single one of them is so good and they have in the back line normally a Donte, but they had Favre they had um, Soutini. Soutini who he was phenomenal as well the ability to beat a man or go through a man there's just a gulf I think especially now with the prem in terms of the salary cap and what they can produce up against the the big French side. So Luke show was a massive golf, um, and I don't think I realised until the game got underway that it it was finished really by the first half. Um, the, the distance was that big, so uh, I think now this is probably weirdly the first real test that La Rochelle are going to have in this competition. They haven't lost since the final that they lost against Toulouse two years ago. And rightly now we see the top two sides in the final. So this will be a massive test, a different test and a repeat of last year's final, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, But there was a big difference between Exeter and La Rochelle at the weekend.
1: And what about Toulouse's defeat to Leinster and Dublin? Because obviously leaking 28 points in Simbin periods is a headline. It's a major difference between the two teams. But covering the game, I don't want to doubt someone of the coaching caliber of Hugo Moller. You've but just I done could it. Not. You've <laughs> just <laughs> done I it. I'm about to, yeah. I couldn't fathom the decision to have a center injured, bring on your old backup scrum half, and shift two of the best players in the world out of position. I know they can play there, but to areas where they can't affect the game as much. What was your take on it?
2: I think there's a massive I'm not sure it was a fad, but you know, with Fabian Galtier doing it with the national team, I think there's this massive stretch to go 6-2 mm-hmm. so that your pack is dominant. But like, I've always been personally a fan of a 5-3, even if that meant I was not getting on the bench. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> you, you need your core players and your core team. And you mentioned two players playing out of position, but the, the knock-on is that it's three. So Dupont has to move to 10, Intimac had to move to 12, and Aki had to move to 13. So that yeah. that's an entire rejig. Of your backline, you're moving the best player in the world, potentially too, if you if you want to throw Roman into Mac um in that bracket as well. And surely, you had
1: Malia who plays outside center for Argentina, he could have just moved there and then brought Retier on the wing, couldn't he?
2: Yeah, you absolutely <laughs> could. But when the choice is made to go 6-2, that is the gamble that you make, and that you're hoping that your backline makes it through to 60 minutes and therefore everything can be covered, and you know, you're getting through 20-15 minutes where it might not be that big a difference toward the end of a game, but when you're getting through that big of a chunk of the game, and ultimately your entire backline shifts, it's a massive stretch. You add that to the fact that potentially in a top 14 game against mediocre opposition, that might work, but you're up against Leinster, like an absolute machine. So uh, I, I don't know, it's a personal choice. I think that's now been proven that the 6-2 is dangerous and it can go blow back in your face. And then that was the big talking point, really. But there were three, um, the two yellow cards as well. And those all together, Tom Aramis, I don't think, can have any any questions over his yellow card. Nettie, um, that's been contentious as well. But I don't know, when, you, when you're 28 points down with those two yellow cards, um, and the question of whether one of them should have been a yellow card and actually a Vanderflyer was going looking for it, um, but it was just a sort of clusterfuck for for to lose really a whole range of different things didn't go well for them they played well in fits and starts but against leinster um you have to be exceptional and, and they know that from how they went out this time last year under fatigue and different scenarios losing a few players in the semis last year and they just weren't at the level required to to beat them so that that being said i, I genuinely believe and i like i pitched for to lose last weekend because you want two French sides to go through but we've got the two best sides in the final leinster La Rochelle now will be absolutely uh, titanic
1: And then Toulon in the Challenge Cup semi-final, that's some effort, isn't it? To nil a very decent Benetton side, playing with 14 men for 74 minutes. And then obviously we now know that Charles-Olivon's red card has been rescinded.
2: Thank God. Um, (laughs) But Because again, I don't know how they... I know they have to protect the player, but there wasn't even enough conclusively, video evidence-wise, for me to red card them. So... Could you imagine having that red card and then being rescinded five days later and losing that game against the Treviso side that, as you mentioned, have been exceptional in the URC, but Toulon managed managed to dig deep. Big Sergio, man of the match against this countryman, which must have been a nice feeling, given everything that he's been through in the past three, four years uh, and not being part of the Italian extended squad. Um, So a big moment for him getting that, an almighty assist as well that we can talk through with our... (laughs) With our guest in a minute but a great final again two sides that have been flying high glasgow and Toulon, um on the friday night in dublin that'll be another phenomenal final so i'm glad that they made it through i'm glad that charles red has been rescinded because it was ridiculous uh, and now they can look forward to hopefully finishing the top six as well and making it through to the, the knockout rounds of the top 14 whilst competing in the challenge cup final which will be cool for them too
0: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: Let's get our guest on now then, and we can have a chat with a man who was born in New Zealand. Played for Australia under the 20 level against the Barbars as well. Is now representing Samoa and has been playing a key role in the Toulon midfield in recent years. Duncan Payoa joins us. How are you doing?
3: Uh, good, good. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: We'll come to your journey in France shortly. But we were just chatting about the game at the weekend and 74 minutes against a decent Benetton side to nil them with 14 men. It must be pretty satisfying.
3: Yeah, it was a massive effort. i um, a little bit worried there when uh, our captain, Charles, got sent off with the red card. But uh, the boys really dug deep, uh, especially at 14, men against a really good Benetton side. That's pretty much they're mostly uh, the Italian team. So uh, we did really well to hang, uh, to hang in there and keep them to zero.
2: Speaking of Italians, not a bad assist for your try by old Sergio Parise. <laughs> He's 40 in September, but how good is he to play with?
3: he's so good mate. he might be 39 but um, the way he looks after his body he seems like he can play for another 10 years you know he's still got all that experience and uh, if it was any if it was any other forward I probably wouldn't have told him to kick it but it, because it was Sergio I told him to kick it
2: <laughs> he's so good mate could you see any chance of coming back and getting that swan song with Italy at the World Cup because he is still so good
3: still, I still think he's got a he's got a chance like uh, the way he, like I said, he looks after his body every day, how professional he is. And it's probably why he's lasted so long um, playing uh, at 39, doing those kind of stuff. I think uh, it's only fair if he does get at least one one game at the World Cup.
1: Let's talk about you then, because you were playing with the Reds and spent a bit of time with the Wallabies, as we mentioned before. Yep. But then four years or so ago, how does the move to Toulon come about? Oh,
3: it's amazing. I think um, just being in the south of France, uh, the beach right there. The lifestyle is good. The rugby is good, uh, especially especially the fans. Like um, they really embrace their players here. Uh, it's a bit different in Australia. Like uh, there's a lot of sports that you can support, and you know, like rugby league's a big one, AFL is a big one. So uh, rugby union doesn't really get the notoriety that it should, but like it like it does over here. So uh, moving over here was probably the best decision I've made for my career. Uh, it's made me love the game again. And uh, and I'm and I'm really enjoying my time here.
2: Did you find it quite tricky to settle in initially because you had that Achilles injury, and then yeah. it was followed by COVID. So was that quite a strange start to life in France?
3: <laughs> yeah, it was probably the, probably one of the worst starts I could have had uh, moving to Toulon, especially with that uh, Achilles injury, was a pretty big one, and it was a pretty tough one to get back from. And it was my first big move away from home, uh, so far away. And then just sitting on the sidelines and doing rehab for eight nine months, uh, I missed my family a lot. So, uh, and then when I was ready to play, um, I was making my comeback. Uh, COVID hit that week that I was meant to make my comeback. So, yes. <laughs> uh, I played a pretty much a year without uh, rugby. But I guess I look at it as a blessing in disguise, sort of, because uh, it gave my time. It gave me time to uh heal properly uh not rush into into playing um straight after an achilles injury so uh i guess covid really uh, kind of helped me i guess uh to get back to 100 percent.
1: and what's it like being you join a new club and then you're completely on the sidelines because it's different in different clubs but johnny will have experienced it before sometimes if you're in the treatment room you're almost cast aside no one pays you any attention
3: exactly like uh, i'd go to the games watch it on the sideline and uh, nobody would know who i was uh, the security would ask me uh, do you have a ticket and stuff like this <laughs> so especially <laughs> just come, coming to a new club and uh, and people asking me if i have a ticket to come watch my own team uh, it was a bit frustrating at, at first but uh, once i got in once I got playing and got into in the, in the thicker things, uh, I've, I've I've really enjoyed it.
2: And what's the club like in general? Because I think people forget, or the sort of generation before it was Johnny Wilkinson's, uh, your Matt Gittos, your Bugilal era. The sort of infrastructures of the club were poor. But they had the stars. Now it's like the stars have been scaled back a little bit. But it looks like if you follow like Machu Bastro on Instagram yeah. and you see around the training ground, it looks unbelievably well set up now. So what is the club like behind the scenes?
3: Oh, the club is amazing. Um, when I first got here, like you said, um, there's a team full of superstars, uh, pretty much a Barbarians team for, the, for those uh, really successful years that they had. Um, but were, the sheds were pretty much in containers, and uh, there was only one or two showers or something. So uh, Bernard, the president, has come in and just taken over the reins and uh, made it really feel like a um, like a like a top tier club, you know. And um, and I think that just makes it all all the much better. Um, coming in coming the training every day.
1: You mentioned the president there, Bernard Lemaitre. Obviously, yeah. Johnny spoke about Mourad Bujalal and there were a lot of stories involving him. The yeah. club seems a lot more stable nowadays, but how much do you see and hear from Bernard? Uh,
3: we used to hear from him a lot uh, last season, but uh, this season I think we don't re- he, 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 he's been behind the scenes a lot, uh, comes into the sheds now and then. But I think with all the staff that we have... Um, uh, I think he, he has really put uh, faith into Pierre and Frank and how they run the team and how um, they can get the most success out of the team. And uh, I didn't have much time to do with uh, Morad a bit, but I had a lot of stories coming over here. But uh, since I've been here, Bernard's been pretty much the one, and uh, he's probably one of the best guys I've ever met.
1: Your path's crossed with Morad then?
3: Yeah, uh, he, I signed into Lon. And when he was still the president and uh he was here
2: how did that go come on mate fill us uh, in
3: <laughs> uh, like just the i didn't have much time with him but the aura around him like we'd be laughing and stuff around the sheds and he'd walk in and everybody would just suddenly be quiet and i was like what's what the heck's going on here and uh, i think uh he had a big say with in, with the club when he was here so um, but I was, maybe I don't know if, I wouldn't say lucky but I was probably fortunate enough that he wasn't here when I was here
2: <laughs> but it is a special club though like when you look at what's been created I, I look back at my time I finished in Bayon and you have yeah. like the hymn the Peña Bayona and everything that goes on before and from Toulon you have Pilu Pilu if there's four tries the newspapers are ripped up it's thrown on the field like yeah. what is that coming from Oz in a different background what is that like to experience because for other people that have never experienced it Like they've got no idea coming in, but to have that as your home game ritual to be built up by that every single game, it's a nice feeling, isn't it?
3: Yeah. It's, it's an amazing feeling. Like I said, it just makes you want to play for, for the town, for the fans, you know, Um, even um, walking in, walking into the games, you know, how you just walk into the sheds and there's like a hundred meter line up and there's like maybe one meter tunnel you just got to walk past all the fans, all the fans just cheering, touching you and the, experiences like that you won't get back home in Australia. Uh, so it uh, it almost gives you a feeling like you can't lose at home, pretty much. It gives you that, you're your 24th man, kind of. You
1: mentioned that Berlund has obviously got a lot of faith in the coaching structures in place at the club at the moment. And they yeah. are that Pierre Mignoni and Frank Azema have both been involved right at the top this season. So how does that work in terms of their kind of relationship and who does what on the day to day kind of running of the club?
3: They take turns doing the pre-game speeches like one one week uh, Pierre will do it, the next week Frank will do it and I think they really balance each other out like um uh Pierre, you know, he's a <laughs> he's a really hard headed you know, he just wants to explode at all the players if we are doing stuff, stuff stuff wrong and
2: but classic scrum half. They don't change.
3: <laughs> yeah, but Frank is kind of <laughs> kind of the mellow one and like uh, he he calms him down a bit. And um, I think, yeah, like I said, they just really balance each other out and uh, they've been working really well together this year. We we didn't know how it was going to be when when it first happened, but uh, I think it's worked out really well.
2: And in terms of delivery, so does that mean like, is one of them more in charge of... Um, systems is one more defensively angled. Is one more attack, or do they just jointly present everything? Like, how does it work as a pair? What What are the sort of roles and what are they tasked
3: with? Uh, pretty much, I think Pierre looks after the defence side of things, and mostly works with the forwards. And then Frank does the attack, and then does uh, most of the work with the backs. And he, he comes up with all the moves and stuff. And uh, so they, yeah, no, but like I said, they really share the workload. There's not no one's higher than the other.
2: And obviously now, Frank being announced, he's moving back to Perpignan. So you're missing the cool, calm, collected one next year. And you're just going to have Pierre <laughs> yelling all the time next year. How's that going to work?
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, Frank, yeah, the boys are going to miss Frank. like He's been so good for us ever since he joined us mid-season last season. And the boys really get along with him. And he's really good. Uh, he has really good relationships with the players. and But Pierre Pierre, Pierre has good, good relationships with the players too um but you know he's he's a scrum half he's very passionate about your game and about winning you know um and sometimes uh living in toulon and the lifestyle that we live we do sometimes need to kick up the ass so uh oh. it, it might be okay <laughs>
1: and they're the bosses but some of the specialist coaches at toulon are very interesting as well you got freddie michelac who is obviously yep. french legend What's his kind of remit and what's he in charge of? What's he like to work with?
3: He does most of our skills skills drills, you know, like um, he comes up with some stuff I've never seen before. And that's probably why he's such a skillful player. And he's helped, the I think he's really helped the forwards with all their passing games and seeing um, what the right options are and stuff. And he's got all these drills that (laughs) you think of, like uh, reaction signs with the lights and then passing and then, uh, stuff like that but he's been he's been so good for the club
1: you're responsible for Sergio's kicking game as well
3: <laughs> um, yeah I, I'm sure I'm sure Fred would take credit for that too
2: is big Richie Gray still there the big Scotsman <laughs> is he Richie, still looking after you man, he's a great boy so Richie was my under 18s coach my first ever yeah. Scotland age grade coach and he's now been around Montpellier Lyon and Toulon is he still looking after your contact elements as well because he's a great big guy
3: yeah he comes he comes uh, he comes around maybe two times a month um <laughs> You know, but the, the but most of the boys are like uh, every time they see him walk into the cover, like oh fuck, Richie's here. Uh, <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna we're gonna have to hit rocks. But then um uh, all the foreign boys are like ding him up, saying yes, Richie's here, Richie's here. And then when we hear he's about to leave, um the next day we're like oh fuck, man, I wish he was staying a bit longer so we can hit more rocks. But <laughs> uh, nah, no, nah, But in saying that, every time every week that he comes um and does the rock drills. Um, normally that week our uh, racks are normally on point so he's really good for us
2: he's a good man too he's good comedy <laughs> values he's great he's great to have around the club as well like as much as your contact will be improving he's a good egg he's a good man to have in a team too
3: he's awesome he's such a good look like-
1: has he told you any stories about Johnny under-18 level, under-19?
3: <laughs> Not yet, but, uh, but I'm definitely going to ask when I see him again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, you've got Roman Poit as well. This is a trend, particularly in French rugby, where you get yeah. referees coming in as coaches. We've asked at Montpellier, haven't we, Johnny, about the influence there. What about at Toulon and Roman Poit? Obviously, the most senior French referee we've ever seen in the game. But as a coach, what's he in charge of specifically? And, and how is he kind of going from as a gamekeeper, if you like?
3: Yeah, initially we thought, like, oh, that's a bit weird. We're going to hire a referee to help us coaching. But he's been really good. Like uh, every week he gives us a rundown of why things were penalties and why um, the referees gave away this penalty or or this, um, this penalty shouldn't have been a penalty. Um, but he's been really good. Before every captains' run, he gives us a rundown about the coaches and um and how they they kind of operate. Like this ref uh, is really hard on the breakdown, or this this ref is really hard on the offside line. So just putting those little things in the back of your mind, I think, helps every weekend. And uh, he has a lot of time, so because he, he sends every single player like um like individual clips uh of your game. Um, saying, oh, great job. You've got a uh, great backing game. And um, like, you've got to keep your tackle height down here. And no, but he's been good, really good.
1: And given the status he has in the game in France, Johnny, I imagine he's probably WhatsApp and all the referees as well, saying, come on, two long games yeah. coming up.
3: Leaning on yeah. it's lobbying.
2: That's what it's lobbying. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this isn't coaching. This is yeah. leaning on the, the referee panel. Uh, mate, it's incredible. Enough about referees. Enough. Dan <laughs> Bigger. Yeah. Dan Bigger calling the shots in, coming in, taking the 10 jersey. How's he settling in and how impressive is his French already? It's ridiculous.
3: <laughs> he's he's putting us all to shame. I've been here for four years and I can't speak as good as him. I <laughs> know all, all the French boys giving me shit that I can't speak French and he's been here for two months and he can speak French now. Um, but Dan, such a cool head, uh, can manage the game. On the weekend, we only had 14 players, but he managed the game so well. I, th- I think... He really he pulls us aside and says, "Look, we're not chasing the game here. So let's just do the right things, do the right things, play down the right end of the field, and um, just uh, just try not to give away any points."
1: And maybe not with his French, if you're saying yours is a little bit rusty still. But have you been helping him off the field because he's a he's a good family guy, and obviously you work with him closely on the field in the positions you play. So have you been kind of showing him the best restaurants, coffee bars, that kind of thing,
2: nightclubs? Oh, yeah. (laughs)
3: I think he's a bit settled down now too old for that stuff um, but yeah well when he can uh, he asks he asks where to go uh, but um, he's a lot of people if they know um, a big superstar is coming to town a lot of people reach out and say go to this place go to this place uh, so he's uh, he's settled in really nicely he's a uh, he's a bit a uh, big dog because he lived in um, Saint-Tropez like two week, uh for two weeks of course he did <laughs> of
2: course he does. I
3: was, like, I was like, I was like mate, you're living the life and you're just living in Central Bay.
2: <laughs> and speaking of
1: big dogs, we've said that you know the Galactico era is over, it's not all the big names anymore, damn bigger. Cheslin Colby yeah. arguably the biggest star in world rookie at the moment. So what's he yeah. like to
3: be around? Cheslin is probably uh, like the status that he has is probably the most humble person I've ever met. Um he's always uh trying to make time for everyone to get together. Put on barbecues, go go have dinner together as a group. But he's on the field; is just ridiculous. Like there's nothing on, and I just I just give him the ball. I "Do your thing," (laughs) and he's just he's just crazy. But he's we we've become pretty close off the field. Uh, Cheslin and I, so pretty lucky enough to call him a friend.
2: Mate, how good a backline is that to be part of? Like when you you've got bigger inside you, you've got Cheslin Colby, you've got Vazir. At thirteen, who's an absolute freak show as well. You got Emmerich Luke in the backfield who's like yeah. incredible young talent. Like what's it like? It must be great fun pitching up for training, having a laugh and then going to work with those boys.
3: Oh, it's amazing. Especially especially with Gavin William coming back too. Just looking at training and seeing the back line and like this is probably <laughs> this is uh ridiculous. Like we just go through the hands and see what someone can if someone can do something like even the like, Jutta Wanikola coming up. Oh my god. <laughs> sure.
1: I was going to say you missed him out.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I, I named half. I was like, yeah. even
2: just with half, it's ridiculous. But that's it. With all these boys, not everyone starts. That's the incredible thing the depth of talent you have as
3: well. Exactly. Like, uh, we're wondering like, what are they going to do when um, Gavin comes back? Because Jitter's killing it. We've got Cheslin Colby. And um, I think that's why they decided to put Cheslin at the back uh, last week. So, but the back three, I think. For me, I think this is probably one of the best in the world.
1: And we mentioned that you grew up in Australia, played for them at under 20 level, also played against the Barbarians. You were involved in plenty of squads. I think you played under Michael Checker. I think Dave Rennie called you up as well. So yeah. was it kind of frustrating for quite a period of time getting so close to being fully capped, but not actually getting capped?
3: Yeah, it was, at the time it was very frustrating and it was probably one of the, one of the big reasons why I left Australian Rugby. The year that I did play against the Barbarians, um, Shekka came up to me and he was like, look, if you play well, um, we might pick pick you for the spring tour. And uh, I thought I played pretty well. I think I scored about 20 points that game uh, because I was kicking and I scored two tries, I think. And I thought I I did enough to make the squad. Then um, they they announced the squad about three days later and I, (laughs) I didn't get a call or anything. I just saw it on the team list. That I didn't make, didn't make it, so I was a bit down there for the for my last season at the Reds. So um, I was probably kicking stones a bit, and then and then, like you said, um, when I came to France, like just gave me a whole new perspective on rugby and made me fall in love with the game again. And then uh, I, I just went back for a holiday, I think, two seasons ago now. And um, Dave Rennie found out I was I was in I was in the country, so. Um, and he said he's watched a few of my games. And he, said, he was like, oh, look, when, when is your flight back to Australia, uh, to France? And I said, oh, I'm leaving in two days. And then he <laughs> he says, uh, how would you feel about joining the squad for the, for the tour? And I was like, are, are you sure? I might need to ask my club because I was a bit scared because I was like, I need to start pre-season in two days. And um, luckily enough, the club was um, happy to let me go. For the tour with the Wallabies, um, unfortunately didn't get a crack as well. Uh, and I thought I, I was training pretty well, but I think, uh, I think they was getting a bit of heat from uh Australian rugby saying, um, it's not gonna, it's not a good look if they bring someone from overseas that's not capped, and then playing them. So uh, I think that's another reason, uh, another factor of why I didn't really play. But uh, for me, it was a blessing because you know, imagine if I did get at least one game for the Wallabies and then I wouldn't be able to play for Samoa.
2: Exactly. And that that was going to be my next question. So, like the weirdness of the politics have been taken. So they know you're a French-based player. They've asked yeah. you to tour and then exactly. not playing. That's even worse. In that, like, yes. If you're going to take me and I'm going to miss a preseason with Toulon, make it for a reason. It's because I'm going to become a Wallaby. But yeah. the irony now is them missing their opportunity to cap you and you moving to Samoa and pledging to play for them, how did that come around? So now that Australians have been shifted, they've missed their opportunity twice. If you yeah. play well, you're going to play, you don't, and then going on spring tour and not getting capped. How did the conversations then shift and then you start playing for Samoa?
3: Well Dave and to be fair, Dave Rennie was pretty straight up with me, saying, look, I I wanna I kind of want I really want to pick you, but I can't. Um and then I asked him then, what was the point of bringing me in and just to hold pads or make the numbers or something like that? But he was straight up with me saying um, he doesn't know what the situation with the rules are going to be and if they can even pick overseas players in the future. And uh, he doesn't—he didn't want to jeopardize capping me and then the rules change and then I can't play for Samoa. I think that's how everything rolled about. And then, um, but Mapasua was um, always on my back uh, for a couple of years there. Asking if I if I wanted to play for Samoa and um and I was I was at the, at the time I was ready to play for Samoa and, and then the Wallabies called me up again and then I said oh, I'll give it another crack and see what happens so to my and then I think everything worked out for a reason and then couldn't be happier that I got capped for Samoa at the last autumn series
2: and now you fast forward to being on the eve of a World Cup <laughs> in France. Where you live, where you play your club rugby or Toulon, and you get to represent Samoa in France in a World Cup, just how much you're looking forward to the preparations and then the competition arriving.
3: Oh, mate, I'm so excited, especially to represent Samoa and my family. Like when my family found out that I was going to play for Samoa last year in the Autumn Series, like they were over the moon. Like, like you know, I told them when when I told them I made the Wallaby squad, they weren't that happy. <laughs> they weren't as happy <laughs> as happy for me when I when I was with them, but as soon as I said I was playing for Samoa, um, they were really happy with that. And I was really happy to do that for my family and for myself and to finally be an international player. But for the World Cup to be in France, it's just unreal. Um, Especially, like I said, rugby in France is probably, it's the right time to be in France if you want to be a rugby player, you know. It couldn't have worked out any better.
2: 100%. And when you look at that pool, so you've got England, Japan, Argentina, and Chile. Like, yeah. How much are you looking for? Any of those you're looking forward to particularly? Which one are you looking forward to most? you got a decent
1: chance
3: there. 100%. Yeah. I'd like to compete against the best. Though. I think the best team in that pool probably will be England at the moment. But um, the way world rugby is going at the moment, anyone can beat anyone at any stage. So um, I think we have a good chance in that pool. Yeah, but England will probably be the uh, the one I'll be looking forward to if I if I get the chance to play them.
1: And what do you make of the change in World Rugby's allegiancy rules? Because we had Jordan Talfur on, who's clearly benefiting, and it is benefiting the Pacific Islands as it was intended to do so. It's also benefiting teams like Scotland, but we'll forget about them. <laughs> 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 but it is, it's, it's kind of giving you a better shot at a World Cup, isn't it?
3: Exactly. It's just uh, levelling the playing field a bit more and it's like I said it's like putting the the best players in the world at the world cup like you got players like um Israel Folau look at if you look at that Tongan backline, a lot of them play for Wallabies or All Blacks and now they're eligible to play for Tonga and it's just putting the best players on the on the biggest stage and that's what the world cup is about
1: and what we spoke a bit about Michael Chaka sort of maybe not being true to his word. Dave Rennie was up front, but clearly his hands were yeah. tied a little bit politically. Talk us through Silala Mapasu. What's he like?
3: Mapasur is a typical sample and just um cool, cool and calm, uh really nice to the players. He he lets his assistant coaches we've got a really good coaching stuff like uh especially the backs. We've got Tusi Pisi, we got Tana W Um well so he doesn't really need much help there and plus mups is a, was a really great center back in the day too so i think he'll he puts a lot of faith into into his uh coaching stuff but he's really really good to get along with and um uh, he he still keeps in contact during the year so he's uh look i'm really lucky that he's the coach and he uh and that he played center as well. So I think he likes me a bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, for, for you as a number 12, that's not a bad little coaching group there. You got two CPC, one God knows how many caps at 10. You got Tadaro Munga, I think we exactly. all know about him. And then, like <laughs> you say, Mapasua, not a bad center.
3: Yeah, exactly. I think when I first got my first uh, number 12 Samoa jersey, he said, uh, Don't let this jersey down. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: He's a legend. Mate, if we look ahead quickly, Top fourteen rugby, the run, and you've now got that final in the Challenge Cup against Glasgow on Friday the nineteenth, I think it is, which will be absolutely huge for the club again on that scene. But if we look at the run, and you're currently sitting in fifth, you've got games yeah. left. You've got La Rochelle this weekend. You're away to Racing, then at home to Bordeaux. you making it comfortable in the six. It's going to be tough, eh?
3: Yeah, it's going to be tough. If you look at the ladder, um, it's so close uh, from one to eight. Like if we if we lose. We can drop all the way down to eighth if we win. We can go all the way up to third or something. So every game's a must-win from here on out. Uh, so we're going to take every every single game uh, really serious. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I haven't played finals since I've been here, so it's a pretty good big goal for not only me but the team to to play to play finals footy.
1: Two of those three games are at home, though, Johnny, and they feel unbeatable
3: there so it's all right it's I, do. I was gonna say
1: as
2: well see see when you were talking about that earlier when you go in and you've got that like 750 meter tunnel like human tunnel to get in and they're all cheering you and you feel invincible mate the away team has to do that as well so every time i did that too long you were getting salted you're getting stuff thrown at you, you getting spat like that's the other side so you feel it. you go then you're like we're never gonna win um, but like the first team that you're up against lara Rochelle, they're coming this weekend You've seen obviously what they did to Exeter at the weekend. You know loads about them. Like, what are you expecting from them coming to town this weekend?
3: Oh, they're just going to be physical. Like, uh, they're probably one of the most physical teams in the comp. Um, in saying that, we've got a pretty big pack as well, and we're pretty physical, physical as well. So, look, it's going to be tough. Um, and hopefully, well, we're hoping that they're a bit run down from the game last week, but no, nah, I think. It's going to be a really good game in Marseille.
2: Have you played at the Velodrome before?
3: Yeah, we've, I've played Toulouse twice there.
2: And that an enjoyable experience? You haven't had the best rat record against Toulouse there, is? so like, what is the... like In terms of mentals and the difference psychologically of going and playing at the Velodrome, is it different for you as a playing group?
3: Uh, it, it is different. It kind of feels like an away game until, until you run out and you see all the red and black jerseys. And then it once you're on this on the field, it's uh it kind of feels like a home game, but I think uh it w- we probably would have preferred to play in mail, um, but it is what it is. And but the Valodream is amazing. Like I played against Toulouse last year, and I think we had like 60,000 60, there, and it's just um I was talking to Eben Hetzabeth after the game. He's like, that's like a international experience. That kind of game, yeah. So, Uh, Vlad is always special to play
1: It's a tricky dynamic that for a club isn't it Johnny like you make the decision obviously way in advance but it's right at the business end of the season when the mile factor would be massive commercially it's brilliant brings in a load of extra revenue but if you don't beat La Rochelle could have a massive knock-on effect
2: Well mate the best example or the closest example for me is Bayonne. so Bayonne were in the top six and they were unbeaten all season they take one game down to San Sebastian to play against Poe they lose it they drop out the top six so there's a performance element that you want to be at home for those home comforts, for the madness of your home crowd. But yeah. then there's the commercial aspect of running a club and the ticket money that they know they're going to get in. That they know if they can double the coffers, they want that gate receipt. So it's tricky. And as Duncan said, like you look at the top eight now, one loss and you're out. You're out the top six. Yeah. So it comes down to really fine margins. So hopefully for you boys this weekend, you can nick hey. La shell easily. They're cruising, so they don't they need the out win. Out for us. They don't they yeah. don't need the win, they're it's just all they're just built. It's exactly. all
3: just rest, your, rest your players for the European final, you
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, exactly. you've both got European finals, so <laughs>
3: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> and just finally, obviously, from those kind of I imagine quite dark days when you move to Toulon, you get an Achilles injury, there's COVID. You're now signed up to 2025. They've offered you a new deal, you've got a long time there, you're clearly loving life, so a World Cup on the horizon at the end of this year, things couldn't be better, could they?
3: No, it couldn't be better. Like I said, once I came back from that injury, just loving the game, love, loving it. I grew grew as a rugby player, grew as a person, playing uh, decent footy. And I was lucky enough for them to approach me early and uh, extend my contract for another three years. And I was, I, I had a few offers back home in Australia, but I was like, uh, I can't say no to this. Like, um, this lifestyle and they've done so much for me so um, it's pretty hard to say no too too long
1: you definitely made the right choice you'll be there with Samara at the World Cup and you've avoided that Eddie Jones training camp with the Wallabies no one wants to be part of
3: that I've heard about those I'm pretty glad I'm I'm not there
1: cheers a massive good luck at the World Cup later this year and with too long thanks
3: mate cheers mate all the best this weekend see you mate
1: good story that Johnny clearly so, so, so close to playing for the Wallabies, but at a lucky escape, arguably, you could say.
2: Yeah, a lucky escape, but just the way these directions change course so quickly now, especially if you've got two or three different strands to where you could play. You look at Manny Miafu as well and the different options he has. And yeah, but you could say, and malprombian, as they would say here, a bad thing for a good thing, but ultimately Australia's loss has been Samoa's gain and Toulon's gain as well, in that he's been absolutely class to watch the past couple of seasons for Toulon, going from strength to strength and growing as well with his stamp on the game and that backline that's phenomenal. So the fact that he'll be representing, as he mentioned, the pride that his family had and the excitement they had, that's where you see how important it is that these boys get the chance to represent the country that really matters to them. So... The Wallabies, yes, would have been great, but you can see that Samoa just means so much more, which is really, really cool.
1: Yeah, and I suppose by a lucky escape, I mean we didn't ask him to delve deep into it, but I know he was really passionate about playing for the Wallabies. It's what he really wanted to wear that green and gold jersey. But with the state of flux that rugby is in at the moment, and clearly he was caught right in the middle of it, Dave Rennie was like, probably would have capped him, but the rules kind of meant that he didn't, but yeah, he was there kind of holding tackle bags. So the last thing you would have wanted is for him to get a cap or two and then it's like, well, we can't really pick you for the World Cup anyway.
2: Well, that's it. And that's also, I think, where you have to say that Dave Rennie has been incredibly fair as a coach in that he could have captain him. Um, me being selfish and thinking as we're I was like, you just want to be capped and get on that. But no, like Dave realised that there's a bigger picture out there and he didn't understand the rules and the regulations and was he then trapping him in something that he didn't need to be trapped in? So um, I think you have to say kudos to Dave Rennie as well um, for not screwing him over and allowing him to have that freedom and that choice further on. So it was really kind of him.
1: Right. We'll look ahead briefly in a minute, but we should find out what your metre moment of the week is, Johnny.
2: Mate, we talked about it already. It could have been La Rochelle. It could have been the ambiance in Bordeaux, but it was our favourite Italian. It was Sergio Parisse <laughs> with another worldie of an assist just outside the 22 Duncan said he's called it, which has taken a little bit of lust off it for me. <laughs> yeah. I was just hoping it was Sergio being Sergio, spotting this base in the backfield. But in any case, perfect execution, drops the ball on the boot, grubbers the ball through the first try of the game um, for Toulon. An-, an incredible bit of execution and skill set from a back at a number eight, which I absolutely love. It's the metre moment of the weekend. Is Sergio Parisse man of the match, a world even assist, and generally just being a legend again for Toulon at the weekend. Some player.
1: You had to do a double take. You thought it was damn bigger. And then you see that big bald head. Nope. Sergio <laughs> chipping it through. <laughs> <laughs> no. That was Johnny's meter moment of the week. And meter is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer, recently making over 20 million cooks better with a game changing app and completely wireless Bluetooth meat probe. You can use it on a barbecue in the oven or in a pan, and you can get your hands on one at meter.com plus you can get 10% off any full price item All you have to do is enter the code FRENCHPOD10 at checkout. That's FRENCHPOD10, and you'll get 10% off any full-price item at meter.com. I imagine you've got yours out right now, Johnny. It's about 30 degrees there, isn't it?
2: Mate, it was 30 degrees yesterday. I was down at the lake in Horsagor, and I actually do have a cot de boeuf ready (laughs) to go. As soon as this is done, I'm upstairs and I'm making a cot de boeuf for the family. So you're absolutely right. And the meter will be getting used.
1: We will just briefly look ahead to this weekend's top 14 then and then you can get the meter going three rounds left we chatted a little bit to Duncan about it they've got a massive game it is so tight
2: it's so tight and I think you look through so you've got Toulouse on 71 points La Rochelle 70 and then this is where from 3 to 8 it's so condensed Stade Francais 64 points, Bordeaux 58, Toulon 57, Lyon 56, Racing 56, Bayon 54, even down to Cast and Montpellier with 49 points. So really fourth to eighth, anything could happen. Any type of combination of those sides could realistically still make up the top six, which as we know means knockout rugby, but it also means Champions Cup rugby next season, which is absolutely massive financially for these clubs. So loads to play for. Um... again every single weekend the top 14 now we get to the crunch end of the season but at both ends of the table we didn't even mention there but you still got Poe and Perpignan trying not to be 13 so they're scrapping to get away and fight it out for 12th position and you've got Breve who mathematically they lose this weekend and Poe and Perpignan win that's them gone so they're away to Montpellier that'll be huge for Breve, Ross Moriarty will be trying his absolute best with Nico Sanchez to get them to stay up, but it looks like it's pretty much gone. But the big games of the weekend, Toulon-La Rochelle, we can't get away from that one. That will be absolutely massive. Toulouse-Bordeaux-Beg on Sunday night will be huge as well. Pole playing against Cass, Leon against Perpignan, all trying to avoid 13th and clermont Stade francais as well. Stade francais trying to cement their third position with a win away, at a stuttering Clermont, who just announced ben- my old teammate Benjamin Urda bigetta 37 and a half years old, has just signed a one plus one with Clermont. If you're talking about longevity and dragging it out, oh my days, has he done well. We talked about him last week, but that is some contract to be signing age 37. So well done, Benji. He's an absolute legend of a bloke as well. Um, but yeah, another weekend of huge top 14 games coming up. You've got
1: Perpignan away to Lyon.
2: And yep. Lyon obviously
1: scrapping for every point to try and get in the top six. But power at home to cast a game which you could see them certainly winning so that could kind of look a lot clearer after the weekend
2: yeah but essentially montpellier breathe top 14 champions against Brieve. you're thinking that's a foregone conclusion but whole cast again is a 50 50. jeremy davidson's come in cast one away from home the past couple of weekends they've looked much better and perpignan as well it's weird the emotion that goes into these games what can you get out of yourself to save a club and you just can't write them off so like perpignan yes they're down the wrong end but they still play a decent brand of rugby. They throw together some really decent rugby. So that's not a foregone conclusion either at Leon. So loads of big games, loads of excitement. I'll be looking forward to watching it this weekend, as will you, Tim. But yeah, the madness is going to keep on going for another couple of weekends.
1: Thanks, Johnny. A big thanks to Duncan for joining us as well. And thanks to all you guys for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe. Leave us a nice review if you can. Check us out on Rugby Pass and on YouTube. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, Johnny. Caught the birth buff time. Just them get the meter out. <sighs>